Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. And I'm Jeremy Fallis, also with the Department of Communication. Today, we're going to learn more about diabetes and all the work taking place at the Caswell Diabetes Institute. Now, before we get into that, be sure you go back and learn about a plethora of topics by catching up on any episode of The Wrap you may have missed. You can find the shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast hosting platform. New episodes are also available on the Michigan Medicine YouTube channel and as part of the headlines week in review. And with that, let's bring in several members of the Caswell Diabetes Institute team. Let's have each of you introduce yourselves and what role you play here at Michigan Medicine. Hi there, I'm Molly Dwyer-White and I'm the Managing Director of the Caswell Diabetes Institute. My name is Joyce Patterson. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist, and I'm board certified in advanced diabetes management. And I'm one of the diabetes care and education specialists in the adult diabetes education program here. Hi, my name is Jenna Hoppe. I'm also a registered dietitian here at Michigan Medicine. Um, I'm also a diabetes educator here with adult diabetes education. Outstanding. So first, let's start with a very broad topic. What is diabetes and the two types of diabetes that most people are familiar with? I know there's type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Yeah, so the most common type of diabetes is type 2 diabetes. And about one in every three Americans will develop type 2 diabetes sometime in their lifetime. Um, Type 2 diabetes, uh, that person is typically making insulin. Um, What's happening is there's an insulin resistance. And how I like to explain it is basically when we have sugar, that sugar needs to go somewhere. And so that sugar gets stored in our cells. Our cells have a cell wall and that cell wall has a doorway. So these doorways open up with the help of insulin and those sugars go inside of the cell for storage. Now with type two diabetes, that mechanism isn't working properly. For some reason, those doorways are not opening. I kind of look at it like you have a jam door or you have the wrong key. So we call that insulin resistance. So type two diabetes typically has this insulin resistance happening. And those people are typically also um, still making insulin. Um, Over time, their pancreas um, may get a little bit pooped out. We call it the pooped out pancreas. So sometimes they may need insulin later on in their life. Um, Now with type one diabetes, uh, that type of diabetes, there's no insulin being made. Or there might be just a little bit of insulin still being made by the pancreas, but not enough for someone to survive on. So people with type 1 diabetes will need some type of insulin uh, for the rest of their life. So insulin injections or some type 1 diabetes people choose to wear an insulin pump. Um, So type 1 isn't as common as type 2. It occurs in about 1 in every 500 people in America. Um, Other types include um, prediabetes, which is not quite type 2 diabetes. That insulin resistance is still happening, but it's not causing the blood sugars to go as high as it is for type 2. And then we also have gestational diabetes, which is just diabetes during pregnancy, and that's caused by pregnancy hormones creating insulin resistance. So that's basically, in a nutshell, the different types of the most common types of diabetes. The Caswell Diabetes Institute is home to all four types of NIH-funded diabetes centers. What are those four centers, and what do each of them do? So that is a great question. <clears throat> so just just for uh, broad, that broad awareness, and with over 37 million people in the U.S. alone having diabetes, 
the Caswell Diabetes Institute was was created um, just a couple of years ago in order to support the most rigorous science and how to integrate that with patient-centered care, both in the clinics and in the community. And and even with this short amount of time, uh, the University of Michigan is leading the way to prevent, treat, and cure diabetes and its complications. So we work from this idea that we can only we can only study one aspect of diabetes, but we have to work together to attack every single piece of this disease at the same time. So one of the things that you, um, that is a powerhouse here at U of M, as you mentioned, is that U of M is the only campus to have all four centers funded by the National Institute of Health for Diabetes Research, which includes the Center for Diabetes Translational Research which helps find what works best like evidence-based approaches and implement them and disseminate them into uh, here in Michigan, but also in the world. The Diabetes Research Center, which really focuses on um, new discoveries and cutting edge uh, clinical and basic research. The Obesity Research Center, which is about basically preventing obesity and uh, curing obesity. And then the um, Metabolic Phenotyping Center Live, which really is looking at phenotyping and um, doing uh, basic uh, diabetes research. So those are, it's really pretty cool that U of M is the only place to have all four of those uh, renowned centers. Yeah, it's really amazing. It shows the breadth of the work taking place here. Uh, one common misconception about diabetes is that it's a carbohydrate issue. Can you share some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, one, one of the most common things that we hear from people with diabetes um, when uh, they're trying to manage their blood sugar is they might come in and say, well, I've cut out carbohydrates or what carbohydrates um, can I have and which carbohydrates should I stay away from? And unfortunately, what ends up happening is people become very uh, nervous with carbohydrates, very leery of them. Um, but uh, one of the things I think important pieces of information that people should know is that while carbohydrates do break down into sugar, otherwise known as glucose, um, the most carbohydrates are actually plant foods. So um, Jen is going to uh, share later what the different types of carbohydrate foods are, but um, many of those carbohydrates are providing uh, fiber, vitamins, minerals, excellent sources of antioxidants. But in addition to that, yes, they do break down into glucose, but glucose is not a bad thing either. Um, glucose is the main fuel for our brain. When we are exercising, glucose is the main fuel for our muscle. Glucose is so important that um, for people with diabetes who have experienced hypoglycemia or dangerously low blood sugars, they know that their symptoms are, they can feel very confused. They maybe get a little shaky. Maybe they have heart palpitations, break out in a sweat. They're very desperate for food because the body is driving them to carbohydrates because they need them. And in you know worst case scenarios, low blood sugar can lead to a seizure, maybe even coma. And so for that reason, we need glucose and carbohydrates are a very important part of, um, of our diet. You already talked about how carbohydrates, you know, help people out, but can you walk us through whether there are healthy carbs that people can consume? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of different carbohydrates that are considered really healthy for us. I mean, going back to what Joyce said, the brain really needs carbohydrates for energy. It relies on glucose as the main fuel source. That's what it prefers to use. So it's really important that we eat carbohydrates, especially really focusing on 
ones that are um, complex carbohydrates that are high in fiber. So that includes, you know, our, our fruits, our vegetables, our whole grains, whole wheat, you know, trying to do whole wheat bread, whole wheat pasta if we can, brown rice. Um, other sources of healthy carbohydrates with that high fiber would be beans, lentil, lentils, legumes. So there's a variety of different uh, healthy carbs in our diet that we can definitely focus on. Now, the ones that aren't so healthy that we need to just be careful about and have in moderation are obviously going to be like your cookies, your cakes, your donuts, those uh, sweetened uh, beverages like juice and regular pop. So really being mindful about those types of unhealthier carbs in our diet. Yeah, so so this is great. This podcast, to me, it feels like diabetes education, but I know that diabetes education is available as part of a diabetes treatment plan once it's diagnosed. Uh, can the three of you tell us a little bit more about that and how people can access important diabetes education? Yeah, so um, here at Michigan Medicine, our uh, adult diabetes education program is a large team of uh, registered dietitians and registered nurses. We are all certified in diabetes care and education or working towards certification. Um, and in our diabetes education program, we help patients um, learn about all of the different aspects of managing their diabetes. And it's a lot um, from taking their medicine to um, understanding how to adjust their insulin doses to understanding how foods affect their blood sugar and you know, proper meal planning physical activity, testing their blood sugar, all of the different devices for testing blood sugar, and with that, all of the new and emerging technology that's available, including continuous glucose monitors and um, in insulin pumps. And these days, the there's the hybrid closed loop insulin pumps where the continuous glucose monitor and the pumps work together to automatically adjust insulin for even um, improved diabetes or blood sugar management. Um, it is a great burden for people with diabetes to manage their blood sugar. Um, it's not just, again, it's not just avoiding carbs. It's not, it's not just nutrition. And the other side of it is it's not just medication. It really takes a, a lot of um, concerted effort in all of these areas. And in diabetes education, we try to help patients understand not only how all of these different things affect their blood sugar, but how they can implement strategies in their daily lives in very um, you know, practical and meaningful ways so that um, they can feel like uh, they understand their blood sugars and can manage those highs and lows. Yeah, it does feel like it, it might be sort of overwhelming, especially if you're recently diagnosed with type two diabetes. Joyce and, and Jennifer, maybe I'll ask this to you. What would sort of be your first piece of advice or something you would say to somebody who is recently diagnosed with type two diabetes, who may be feeling just overwhelmed with, with all the information coming to them and sort of everything it feels like they're gonna have to do moving forward. I think one of the, the first things they should ask their doctor for is a referral to diabetes education. Um, and uh, again, we help to fill in the blanks between doctor's visits so that they don't feel alone. They don't have to wait three months, six months to see their doctor for troubleshooting. We're, we are there to help support them and support their doctor in their care. Jenna? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, taking a deep breath because um, getting diagnosed with diabetes is really scary, overwhelming. You're going to go through an assortment of emotions. So taking a deep breath, yeah, kind of 
piggybacking with what Joyce was saying, you know, talking to your doctor, what, what options do I have for some diabetes education? And at diabetes education, we really can empower that patient to be able to understand about their condition, um, feel empowered and feel like they, you know, gain the skills and the knowledge to be able to care for their diabetes, to work with their doctor. I feel like it just gives uh, the patient a lot of confidence to go through life um, knowing how to properly manage and be successful at caring for their diabetes. Um, Daniel, I'd love to add that um, the, also there's a really robust pediatric endocrinology program and they provide, you know, just the same way the adult uh, uh, care does in-depth instructions for the patient and the families on how to manage diabetes also with a focus on how to help families have confidence in managing um, this complex disease because it can invoke a lot of fear and uncertainty and I'm um, just as just as Joyce and Jennifer are saying that um, it's really important to have that understanding so that there's confidence in being able to, to manage um, the disease. And there's so much uh, resources and materials available at U of M um, to do that. And so they have, you know, in the pediatric side, they have, you know, group classes for children, adolescents, families, and also a transition program for when folks are graduating out of the pediatric program into the adult uh, program, which with their, where they'd be meeting with Jennifer and Joyce. So so it's it's really nice that we have the full spectrum of ages and can meet the needs of where people are at in their diagnosis and and self-care. Thank you to each of you for sharing this information. I, I know I learned a lot. I think our listeners are going to learn a lot because while it's a common disease, a lot of people have so many questions about it. And this is super helpful to learn so much about all of this. Uh, if you want to learn more about this topic, because November is Diabetes Awareness Month, go to mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. Word. All right, it's time for the lightning round when we ask one of our guests four quick fire questions. Now, Molly, you're a veteran of the podcast, so you're going to be in the hot seat today. Are you ready okay. to go? I'm ready, I think. <laughs> okay, Molly, the weather is getting colder. So here is your first question. What is one thing you try to do each winter to avoid the winter blues? Oh, that one is pretty easy. I just get outside as often. I try to embrace the cold. So I'll get out and cross country ski or take my dogs out. So, so that's my favorite in the winter. Outstanding. All right. Of course, one of the perks of winter is the holiday season. So what is your favorite holiday tradition that you have with your family? Um, I would say we, um, with my kids now they're all getting older, so I have to kind of force a little bit into it, but we, we get into jammies, we get hot cocoa and go, uh, drive around looking at lights and we kind of vote on our, the best house. All right. So later this week is national ice cream Sunday day. Did you know that that was a thing? I did not. <laughs> okay. So what kind of ice cream are you putting in that Sunday? Um, I am all about uh, mint chip is one of my favorites, so I'll have to go with that. All right. Now we're thinking long term. If you could pick one place to retire, where would it be? Um, I would be in Washington, so I could be near Mount Rainier and Olympic National Park. So easy. <laughs> Jeremy, I think you'd uh, approve of that one. As a native son of the Evergreen State, I do approve. Yay! Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Molly, for playing along. And thank you for that last answer. That that warms my heart. And thank you for helping us to inform our listeners and viewers about diabetes. If you want to learn more, more about CDI and diabetes, be sure to go to mmheadlines.org. All right. Now, while you're at Headlines, you can check out other featured stories from this week, including an update on the progress at the Pavilion and insight into a unique art exhibit on display now at the Rogel Cancer Center. Find all that and more at mmheadlines.org.
Now, Dan, Molly told us about her favorite holiday tradition. What about you? Yeah, so I actually love what she said about driving around and looking at all the houses. You know, we maybe will put like lights on our bushes and like that's about it. But I am always amazed at like the houses that go all out. I love it, you know? Right? Yeah, it's so much fun. And you find neighborhoods and they sort of start competing with each other. You can tell when it's like, oh, that street doesn't care, but that street does care. So they try to one up each other. So that's a lot of fun. Um, In terms of like my family, um, you know, we do... For, for me, my my immediate family, Thanksgiving is our big holiday. Um, so I love Thanksgiving. Um, you know, the, the tradition, of course, is you watch the Lions lose on Thursday. You have, you know, dinner with the family. Um, Maybe that's not, not going to happen this year. Not that's this right. Year. So they're going to beat the Packers <laughs> this year, um, have dinner with the family Thursday, hang out with the family Friday, then Saturday, go watch Michigan beat Ohio State. It's going to be a great weekend. So I'd have to say that one. How about you, Jeremy? Uh, I mean, Thanksgiving is always a lot of fun. It depending on the weather. Like, I have a couple friends who try to do like a Thanksgiving golf outing, uh, but it all is weather dependent. But when it comes to December, uh, we usually bake a ton of cookies and we give it out to our family members. And we usually do these big kind of care packages that we send out to all our family members. And we have four or five different recipes. And now that the kids are old enough to help out and you know, hopefully not lick the spatula too often. Uh, adds up working out pretty well. So that's a lot of fun. All right. So I expect some cookies to show up at my door. Just let me know what type you, I'll see if it's on the menu. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And then my last question is how cold is too cold to go golfing? Generally, I mean, it it depends on whether there's snow on the ground and if it's above freezing, but I mean, anything above 30 is usually fair game. (laughs) Nice. For over a century, Michigan Medicine has been on a mission to bring Michigan answers to patients and families across Michigan and beyond. It's why University of Michigan Health is honored to have been named Michigan's number one hospital once again by U.S. News & World Report and to have been named year after year to the prestigious honor roll of the nation's top hospitals. If you need a Michigan answer in your life, think Michigan Medicine and visit michigananswers.com. All right, it's time for the weekly trivia contest. This week's question is, how many work groups are going to be formed to help the launch of the D-Dan and Betty Kahn Healthcare Pavilion? Once again, how many work groups are going to be formed to help plan the launch of the D-Dan and Betty Kahn Healthcare Pavilion? You can find the answer in this week's headline story, and once you know it, send it to headlines at med.umich.edu for the chance to win a prize. That's all we have for this week. Thank you to our guests for joining us once again. And thanks as always to our listeners and viewers for everything you do for our patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next time.